Well, good morning, everybody. I add my greetings to those that you have already heard. Uh, we're going to do this a little bit uh, different. We're not going to have a scripture reader today. I'm going to read the passage. Uh, we're going to walk through it together. It's a little bit of a long passage. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Luke chapter 17. Uh, and we're going to divide it up into two different parts. Um, here's my heart today. My heart, uh, it might seem a little academic today, lots of slides. So if you want to take pictures of slides, you, you, while you're reading your Bible, you can take a picture. There'll be a few bullet points. But my true heart is that you all would have a deeper sense of security in God's covenant and steadfast love. That as we study the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, that you will have a peace, truly, that surpasses all understanding. Being able to be honest with things that you can't control, whether that has to do with futures or friendships or finances, uh, or whatever is going on in your life, that you'll have a deep, deep sense of peace, a promised peace, uh, and that you would have real freedom that comes from knowing Jesus as King. Uh, I, I try to think of a way to illustrate our, uh, our lack of understanding of the kingdom of God, and here's kind of the way I did it. Um, this week I heard somebody talking about the rapture, they walked into a room. Uh, you might have walked into the room today and been like, wow, where's everybody? Like, this is not normal. And you might have had that moment of like, did I miss the rapture? Did the elect get taken, right? So I had that happen today. Uh, did I get left behind, right? Um, and here's the, the way I want to highlight that. Your pastor, who stands in front of you today, wants to be left behind. And I'll tell you why. Because the Bible teaches that when we're left behind, we're able to enjoy the new heavens, the new earth, the new order that is brought in by the current reign of Jesus Christ, a, a, a place where all the old orders pass away, all the death is gone, the suffering is gone, the old orders pass away, and the new order in Jesus Christ has come. That's how I want to illustrate and challenge you I think we've adopted such a cultural understanding of the kingdom, uh, such a cultural understanding of the end times, that we have a complete misunderstanding of what Jesus really teaches the Bible. And, and we miss the peace. We miss the freedom. We miss the security. So we're going to dive deep into that today, but we're going to do it in a way that I think is pretty fun. We're going to start off reading the first two verses. Um, and I know that if our hearts are open, that we will not only have hope for tomorrow, but we'll have strength for today. So let's read chapter 17 of Luke, verse 21 to 22, follow, uh, 20 to 21, followed by the call and response. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you have observed, nor will they say, look here, there it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. All flesh is grass and all its beauty, the flower of the fields. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Before we go to the, Lord of the word of the Lord to study, let's go to the Lord of the word together and pray. Let's pray. Lord, we are your people and we ask that by your spirit, you'd give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us hearts to receive. I ask King Jesus that you would uh, ambush us with your love and grace. We pray in your name. Amen. So, 
Uh, We're starting with these verses. We're going to work our way all through this section of Luke chapter 17. Uh, Just to give a little context, Jesus is on his last leg of his journey to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to suffer and die, and this is one of many places in Luke and in Acts where he wrestles with the misunderstanding of what the kingdom of God is. Uh, and so he's explaining it to these people. Uh, in the context of our series, we're, we're now in Eastertide as a church. After Easter, we talked about the transformation that comes when we encounter Jesus personally. We looked at the life of Zacchaeus, and today it is only appropriate for us to unpack more the transformation that comes from understanding the kingdom of Jesus, what Jesus teaches. The first thing we see is that the kingdom of God has already come. You realize that? The kingdom of God has already come. Do you ever wonder with religious leaders, they're asking Jesus when the kingdom of God is coming, when they should expect the kingdom of God? Do you ever join them and wonder, when is the kingdom going to come? Things seem out of control in this world. When's the kingdom going to come? Things seem like darkness is winning. When's the kingdom going to come? It sure looks like suffering is on the throne or uncertainty has all the authority. When's the kingdom going to come? Well, Jesus looks at us and says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Biblically speaking, the kingdom of God is defined simply this way, that it is the rule of God over the people of God in the place where God has put you. Hear this. It's the rule of God over the people of God in the place where God has put you. This is seen in the garden. The kingdom of God was exhibited in the rule of God over Adam and Eve, the people of God, in the place where they had put them, in the garden, until they rejected the rule of God and they were kicked out of the garden. And thus began this this long journey of God's people until we get to Christ. But even before Christ, the kingdom of God is present. It is present in the wilderness when when the rule of God or the people of God was invited through the grace of God that the tabernacle represented the dwelling of God with his people. And the law of Moses represented the rule of God that's designed to keep us from sin. The perfect pattern of righteousness of what true humanity looks like. And then when they went into the land, the temple was built. And the Mosaic law remained. But in that place where God put his people in Canaan, the kingdom of God existed. in the rule of God over the people of God. And so all through the Old Testament, I could bore you with things. It's just fascinating how deep the anticipation and the participation is in the already reality of the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus is teaching this to the self-righteous Pharisees, they're missing it, not only by virtue of not understanding all the Old Testament, but missing the fact that the king is standing right in front of them. Jesus represents the already reality of the not yet fully consummated kingdom of God. Jesus, according to Paul in Galatians 3, 10 to 14, he's the fullness of all the old covenants. He is the embodiment of God's covenant faithfulness. And according to Colossians 1, 15 to 17, he's the king of everything. He's the king of what is seen, the king of what is unseen. He's king of every power, every authority, all municipalities. He's king over darkness. He's king over light. He's king over all the universe, according to Paul. And so to to ask the question, when the kingdom of God is going to come, is to reject the reality that Jesus is the king in the present, and it already has come when we, as the people of God, welcome the rule of God by responding to the grace of God. 
in the place where God has put us. And you say, well, wait a minute, Mitchell. I'm, I'm sitting here in modern day America. How can I participate in the kingdom of God? The answer is the place where Jesus wants to rule now is in your H-E-A-R-T. What did he say? Is he speaking in tongues? No. I just spelled the word heart. Jesus wants to rule in your heart. That's the place. Because when the gospel grabs us and our heart is transformed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, then by the spirit of God, the laws are written on our hearts, according to Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The place where God wants to rule is your heart. Get ready for an acronym. Are you ready? Are we awake enough for an acronym today? Are we sure? Okay, I see some heads nodding. Some are saying yes, and some are trying to stay awake. You know, I, I'm not an idiot. I can see you. It's like, oh, oh, oh. I know that's not agreeing, okay? It's okay. That's all right. It's not the first time. We've had people snore in here today. Not today, before. So anyway, the gospel is going to wake us up. Here's the acronym. First is P. When we allow Jesus to rule here, we take up his invitation. Come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. We have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Second, we have a love, a love for God. And we've talked about how it's, it's our loves that drive us. It's our loves that move us. And when we have a renewed heart, our love for God draws us to him. And that overflowing peace actually helps us love neighbor in tangible ways. Because everybody's hungering for peace. And it's why God's people, even in the midst of Babylon or America, wherever he's put us, we can seek the welfare or the peace of the city. So we have peace and love. And then the anxiety of our hearts when Jesus rules the anxiety is transformed into energy purpose. You remember the apostle John says that perfect love casts out fear. That's what we're going to look at today. And then the C is courage. You can actually have courage today because we have concrete confidence in the consummation tomorrow. That the already rule of Jesus, we might feel outnumbered right now, but we're not. And there will be a day when all of the saints triumphant will join the train of Jesus's procession when he returns with all authority. And we can be excited knowing that everything sad will become untrue. Jesus is making all things new. Now, you say, uh, Mitchell, that sounds good. That's a good acronym. I already said excited. There we go. I'm excited to see that E right there. All right. Uh, so we're, we, we want this, we really want this place. We want Jesus to rule. I want the peace. I want my anxiety gone. I want to have courage. I want to know love, all of this. I've been coming to church a long time. I, I, I listen to things. I, I don't understand. I don't really have that. Why is that? You want to know why? Yeah, that's right. Why? The reason is, is because we're created in God's image to have domain in a fallen world the fallen hearts, the fallen nature of hearts, we take domain and we turn it into domination. And so we forfeit the peace, the love, the anxiety-free living, the courage and excitement. We forfeit that because we're so, control, we're so uh, controlled by a desire to dominate. Your anger in response to things is because you feel out of control, one of many reasons. Your withdrawal or tendency to control people or to try to figure out an overly process and anxiously try to answer every question you get paralyzed with, all that you don't know. 
It comes because we have this lust to dominate by answering all the questions, by having everyone report to us. We all are created to have a place to rule. Now, let me ask you this. Do you know where the smallest monarchy in the world is? Yeah, I bet you don't know. I love it. I love it. No, it's okay, Brent. I like it. Let's keep talking to each other. Uh, it, this is a picture of the world's smallest kingdom. It's called uh, Tavalora. Tavalora. You see, that's a five square kilometer space. You see that house at the bottom of it. It's, it's, it's tall, but it's not real big. And there's a man there who's been King, King Antonio. Isn't that funny? Yeah. His name's King Antonio. I thought, how appropriate during Fiesta. Like this King Antonio doesn't get renominated every year. He's been there for 22 years and he's ruled this island paradise in flip-flops and, uh, and shorts. Um, and it's the smallest kingdom in the world. He's an old retired fisherman and it's declared a monarchy. And I think it's a great picture because uh, we kind of laugh. This guy, he's, he's not represented at the United Nations. He's just not. He's not, it doesn't have a formal flag or a country. But it's like, man, this guy wanted to declare a kingdom over a small piece of turf. And I thought, man, that's what all of us try to do. All of us look for a place to control, a place to rule, a place to exert our authority. And our lust for domination, that's a, a language from uh, St. Augustine, this lust for domination, seeking to be king of some turf, eventually it leads us to a place of isolation. Your desire to control and exert authority, the reason you tear people up when you don't get your way, or you withdraw and you try to get your way through passive aggressive uh, means, is, be is because you want to rule something. You want to be in control. And it makes us eventually loveless, graceless, selfish, self-centered, self-protecting, self-promoting. And just like the Pharisees who are saying, when is the kingdom of God coming? We actually miss the king himself who's standing right in front of us. And Jesus, rather than trying to address every symptom of what's going wrong in our life, he goes right to our heart and he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Your heart, to quote Augustine again, will be restless until you learn to rest in the already rule of King Jesus. That's the first thing we see in this passage, the invitation to surrender, the invitation to welcome God's kingdom in the midst. But look down at your passage. Uh, beginning, at the end of verse 21, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, the king himself stands among us. But then in verse 22, he, he changes his focus. And rather than addressing the self-righteous and, and the control freaks like myself, he goes to another compartment that Mitchell has in his life of a, of a disoriented disciple. Listen to what he says. And Jesus says to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will look and not see it. And they will say, look here, look there. Do not go out and following them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in that day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, 
They were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is in the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for will keep it. I tell you, in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other one left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said, where the corpse is, there the eagles will gather. The first thing we see is that the kingdom of God is in our midst. But the second thing we see is that the kingdom of God will come. There's this tension, this already reality of a not yet fully consummated kingdom. You like this picture? I took this on the way down to church this morning in the lightning storm. Do you believe that? You shouldn't believe it. In fact, everything, everything you hear from people up front in the name of Jesus, you should, you should look at God's word to make it sure it's true. If you hear things that come from here or any other pulpit on the radio or on TV, if you can't look in the word and see that it's true, then you shouldn't listen to it. All right, that picture came from online. I just thought I'd make that joke because all of us were woken up by the, the, the dancing in heaven, the thunder and lightning. But the first thing Jesus teaches us is we got to sidestep the crazies. There's a lot of crazies out there that talk about the kingdom of God. You know what they do? They call themselves modern prophets and they make predictions and they're wrong and people still follow them. And they make more predictions and they're wrong. But then they make charts and they say, follow these charts and look at all this. And this is how, and then they distort the Old Testament and they write books that are unbiblical and they distort history and they make millions of dollars off of false theology. And Jesus says, you got to sidestep the crazies. All these people that are saying, look here, look there, look here, look there. Don't listen to them. In fact, it'll be completely subversive. The second thing he says, expect difficulty. With American theology that distorts Old Testament teaching and distorts modern history for our own prosperity, like the gospel isn't about us being comfortable, healthy, and wealthy. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about a king who is God that came to be man, took the form of a servant, and became nothing except obedient to death, even death on a cross. The gospel is about knowing King Jesus and using all that he's entrusted to us in this life for the advancement of his kingdom. And we can expect difficulties. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he says it right there. He's like, look, look here. As lightning flashes and lights up the sky, once the Son of Man, that's what's going to be in the day. I'm coming back. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And he was. And that's an invitation uh, that even the apostles say in Acts 14, 22, that you want to know the kingdom of God, there will be suffering, period. It will cost you something. So, expect it to be difficult. And join me in an utter rejection and condemnation of prosperity theology. I want to know the true king. Part of that comes by the next thing Jesus says. He says we have to avoid 
overvaluing the ordinary. Avoid overvaluing the ordinary. He goes into, look at Noah and the flood. Look at Lot and Sodom. And the ways that they're described, if you look down, just as it was in the days of Noah, there's drinking and marrying and in giving in marriage. In the days of Lot, there is planting and building and selling and buying and eating and drinking. Friends, these are all good things. These are gifts that God has given us. I hope that you enjoy eating and drinking. I really do, because if you don't enjoy eating and drinking, you will not be here long. We're created to eat and drink. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we should even do that for the glory of God. I hope you enjoy relationships. I hope you enjoy marriage. We want to see more marriage and have planting and building. I hope you enjoy that. But if we overvalue the ordinary, then we don't care about the, the already reality of the kingdom of God in Jesus. And we're not even going to pay attention to the reality of the coming kingdom of God. This is to say we can become so obsessed with the immediate trinkets right in front of us, the shiny things, the exciting things, the, the parting in relationships here, the ordinary, we elevate them to such a high level that it flushes out what is most important. Jesus has come and Jesus will come again. Now, let's get down to the nitty gritty for a second, okay? I want to get into, I want to get into the, at one of the stories. Now, you're familiar with the story of Noah. And in Noah, by the way, he and his family, they were left behind. Everybody else was swept away in judgment, okay? You might not be as familiar with the, the story of Lot. And, and I I, if, we, if we go back there, there's just such a great picture of how we get, uh, over, we overly value the ordinary and we miss the extraordinary work uh, through Jesus and his kingdom. Uh, Lot is trying to convince his, his son-in-laws to get out of there because judgment's coming. And just, I'll let the word speak for itself. 19, 12 to 14. The men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? These are angels and messengers that are talking about the wrath that's coming on Sodom. Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we're about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great for, before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Now look at verse 14. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Get out of this place. The Lord's about to destroy the city. It was like that. It, it wasn't like, uh, get out of this place. The Lord's about to destroy the city. This was urgency. You're going to be family. You're in love with my daughters. Get out of here. The judgment's coming. Get, wake up. I'm telling you, God means business. And how do they react? But it seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. <laughs> you crazy old man. What are you doing? You're hilarious. Look at you jumping all around. And what happened? The judgment of God fell and everybody that ignored the reality was so over-prioritizing the ordinary experienced the wrath of God. But those who listened were saved. 
So let's take a moment to look at our third point, to celebrate biblical teaching on the kingdom of God. Here's the truth. Jesus is going to return. And if you don't know him as Savior and Lord, if you don't know him by faith as Savior, there is judgment coming. There is an eternal fire for those that reject the grace and the goodness of God's rule. But for those who are believers, there's a new world. An old order being gone, a new order through Christ. He's making all things new. So the biblical teaching left behind is actually pretty good. To be swept away is to experience God's judgment. Noah and his family were left behind. Everyone else was swept away in judgment. Lot and his family was left behind. His wife looked back. We'll look at that in a second. Uh, but everyone else was swept away in judgment. Now there is a truth in 1 Corinthians or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, if we were to look at 13 to 18, I don't have this. We don't have time. Paul does teach that the, the Christians will be caught up together with Christ. Uh, there is room for almost an ark-est activity where those who believe in Christ are, are caught up together with him, uh, where the judgment of the world refines what Peter calls the, the fire that will consume, and then we come back with Christ in the triumphal procession. I am not interested right now in, in getting into all of those nuances, but I am interested in you getting excited about a world where there's no more death, no more suffering, where the old order has passed away, there's no more mourning, the new order comes in Christ. The same Jesus that's on the throne today is the one who will rule and allow us to enjoy a new heavens and the new earth. Because the second thing the Bible teaches, and we gotta hit this quick, is that Christ is reconciling all things to himself. Colossians 1, 23 teaches that Jesus is the king of the universe and by the blood of his Christ, he is reconciling everything. The application of his redemption is universal. All things are being reconciled and so everyone that has faith will be saved. And all of God's creation will be redeemed. This means that when you, if you join me in looking at the new web telescope images, unbelievable. The vastness of this universe like there's this reality, the scope of what we know and what we don't know, that God is uniting all things to the blood of the cross and things that we don't ever understand, ways we don't understand. Here's what we do understand. If Christ is king and his kingdom's eternal and the, the reconciliation of all things will happen one day, it is happening now, so we can live securely with our primary identity. My identity is not primarily American. My passport says American, but my primary identity, according to Paul in Philippians 3, is citizen of heaven. And I'm going to get in line with the patriarch Abraham, who looked forward, even though he was called to the land of Canaan, he lived for the city, according to Hebrews 11, whose architect and builder is God. I'm going to join Stephen, that when, when he was suffering and being stoned, you know where Stephen looked for hope? Heaven. Because that's where his primary identity was. I'm going to join Jesus when the disciples came back in Luke chapter 10 and they said, Jesus, can you believe it? Everybody obeys the authority of the word. All even demons obey. Isn't it awesome, Jesus? And Jesus says, stop it. Don't rejoice in the power you have now. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of heaven. Here's the truth, friends. That when we understand the universal scope of the implications of Christ's redemption that we can celebrate a reality, an identity that is greater than what we experience, feel, read, or understand. 
We can be pilgrims who seek God who is peace and who can live with peace even in a world of problems and pain. That's the invitation. The next thing we see is that looking behind is destructive. Now, I'm going to give you a personal illustration from my life, and I don't want to do that too much, but I can't get better than this, okay, in my mind. So forgive. I don't mean to talk about myself and my history too much, but I've got to tell you this story. Um, Verse 29, on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur ran down from heaven and destroyed him. Uh, And uh, where's where's the part about Lot's wife? Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Don't turn back. If you're on a housetop with your goods, don't go down and get it. If you're in the field plowing, don't turn back. Remember Lot's wife. You see, when we overvalue the goods of this world, we become disoriented. And we don't fully live with our head and hearts and citizenship of heaven. Do you know what this is a picture of? It's a plane crash. And in 1985, my dad was on that plane. It's Delta Flight 191. More than 130 people died on this flight. About 18 to 20 were saved. You see that row of seats? My dad moved back in that flight. He started in first class that was in Dallas. He, he moved back in that flight three times. And when the plane crashed, he was in the tail. Every single person in that plane in front of him died. My dad is saved. He was sitting in that tail. True story. He, you, know, you know what he did, though? He jumped down uh, from there. He was so disoriented, he was missing a shoe. And, and my dad tells a story that he kept going back into the wreckage looking for his shoe. In the process, my dad pulled several people out, but he kept going back in to look for his shoe. And everybody who was an expert at the time was, just said, you are lucky that you just didn't die from going back into the wreckage. In this picture of disorientation, it's exactly what happens to us when we turn back. We over-prioritize the ordinary and it makes so much sense to go and take care of this and do this and to not be fully focused, to not join Jesus in Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and trust everything is gonna, is gonna to live with our primary identity. Like, can we really trust God? Can we really trust God? in saying our citizenship is in heaven, I don't have to battle the social pressures, I don't have to play into the political arguments, I can be at peace knowing that Jesus is my king. Can we be so at peace with eternity that when the devastation comes all around us and it might be that an empire falls, can we be at peace even in that? Knowing that the empire of the kingdom of heaven is unshakable, Hebrews 13. Can we have that much peace? I think so. Why don't we have that peace? Because we overvalue the ordinary and we keep going back. How do we rid ourselves from this? Jesus ends with this. Whoever seeks to preserve your life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. You want to know what it means to live totally focused on the kingdom of God, secure in our citizenship in heaven, live with open hands. 
Live with an open heart. Stop trying to control and welcome the present rule of Jesus back to our place. When Jesus is ruling in your heart, even in the midst of peace and problems and pain, you can have peace. Knowing that even if you're being persecuted for your faith, there's a greater reality. Even when you have physical enemies, you can love them and serve them. Second, you can, that comes from loving God. We were born by grace. We learn to love God. And that love literally draws us to the Father. And then it overflows that peace so that we can do practical loving our city and loving our neighborhood. We can seek the shalom of our city. And the anxiety that you feel, the anxiety you feel from not being in control, the anxiety that you feel from not having the domination you want, the anxiety you feel from not having all the answers to your questions, the anxiety you feel from having more fear than faith, it is transformed into energy for the kingdom. And you can have courage, courage today through concrete confidence, knowing that there will be a consummation tomorrow. Jesus will return and make all things new. And we can have excitement for that that excitement that knowing everything sad will become untrue. The invitation is for all of you to choose to believe. And if you struggle with belief, then ask Jesus, Lord, help me with my unbelief so that you can live open-handed and open-hearted, welcoming his present-day rule and living with confidence in this kingdom that will come. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Oh, you're so good. I just, my heart, Lord, I long for whatever that was said that was outside of your word, that it would be struck from our minds. Uh, Lord, and I ask that whatever was in line with your word, I pray that you would uh, give us hearts that that seed will find a purchase, it will be fruitful. Lord, help the hungers of our heart to be oriented to you. Help the lips and the loves and all of our life to move towards you and worship, proclaiming our love for you. Lord Jesus, be king of our hearts and our life. We pray and give us strength for today from our hope for tomorrow. In Jesus, your name we pray. All God's people said, amen.